Exodus chapter 4, verses 1 to 17. Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand inside his cloak and when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. And he said, What about your brother, Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. You will speak to him and put words in his mouth. I'll help both of you to speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so that you can perform the signs with it. Yeah? Yeah? Uh, okay, I think, I think we can clear, clear that up. Just tell me again what, what you were saying. Now, I, I think you need to listen to this. Hold on. Uh, oh, th sorry about that. Uh, yeah, you've just arrived halfway through a conversation. Ever happened to you before? Uh, what's gone on? You've come into Exodus chapter four, halfway through a conversation between God, the great I am, and Moses. Now, last week, we were looking at who God is. This week, a little bit more, we're looking at that conversation that was had between the Lord and Moses. Now, if you're young and he might help you a little bit, uh, go out and quickly, you might have it with you already. Pen and paper, need those this morning. And uh, if you can find one, get one of these, a mirror. Uh, might come in a little bit helpful. This morning, we're going to use our mirror and look at you. And then we're going to 
listen to him. And then we're going to trust what he says. So uh, let's start with looking at you. Oh, ouch. Well, the Apostle James says it's a bit like that when we look in the Bible. Just as when someone looks in a mirror and then goes away and forgets what they see. Don't be like that. When we look in the Bible, uh, sometimes we see things about ourselves that we really go, oh, that needs to change. Here's one of those passages. It, it seems unique. Moses, one of the greatest heroes of the Bible, with a one-on-one, -on -one, almost face-to-face -face with the Lord as he spoke out of the burning bush. It seems so unlike you. And yet, I just want to say to you, it, it's a mirror to who you are as a disciple of Christ as well. Five times Moses speaks to the Lord. Let's look at them and see what we find quite quickly. Uh, if you have a Bible, it be really helpful. Chapter 3, verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Well, you're never going to bring Israelites out of Egypt. But that phrase, why, why me? I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not very good. Have you ever wondered why God might use you to do what he wants on this planet? The great God, the great I am and little old you. Have you ever wondered that? And then just two verses later on, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what's his name? What shall I tell them? Have you ever had that fear? Uh, what, what's the answer? What shall I say? What if it's a difficult question? I don't know where to start. Have you ever wondered and thought, I, 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 my mind goes blank. I, I don't know what to say. I'm sure I won't say it properly. That was Moses' second problem. And then in uh, chapter four, verse one, Moses answered after God had given tremendous amount of reassurance. Moses said, what if they don't believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord didn't appear to you. Uh, he now knows what to say, but he said, they won't believe it. Be honest. When you think about telling somebody the Christian message, even the good news about Jesus, don't you in your heart think, well, they won't believe it. I, some of them have told me that before. I, I'm never going to believe it. So what's the point? They're not going to believe it. Don't you feel that way yourself? And then, uh, fourthly, uh, Moses uh, comes up with this, verse 10 of chapter 4. Pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Moses, I'm useless. I'm not very good at speaking. I mean, even if I understood it in my heart, even if I believed that they would believe, I'm no, I'm no good at doing it. I, I, I never really get it clear. I, I don't make it very warm and persuasive and winsome. I, I'm just not a gifted speaker. Don't you ever feel that? You think, well, I hear it on a Sunday and it, yeah, I get it and I agree with it. But when I open my mouth, it just all blusters out. Well, that's how Moses felt too. And then finally and fifthly, verse 13, chapter four. Now, it's a little bit more difficult to translate this into English, but this is the stab at it. Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord, please send someone else. Have you ever felt like that? 
Like, can't somebody else do this really important work, Lord? I, I know it needs to be done. I know the Christian message needs to get to people. But, but there, are, there are other people who are much better than I am. And all this responsibility coming in my direction, for me to play that role in your kingdom's growth. Are you sure about this? Please find somebody else. They were Moses' five words to God. And in a sense, look at yourself. Look at yourself in the mirror. Can't you see yourself there? What do you see there? Well, just underneath the surface, don't you? You, you see someone very conscious of their vulnerability, their fragility, their inexperience, their lack of confidence in themselves and in what they've got to do, a lack of assurance that it will make any difference, maybe a great fear and anxiety. Now, you don't have to go and speak to the most powerful man in the world. But even talking to your mum or dad about Jesus is hard. Your brother, your sister, friend at school. It's really difficult, isn't it? Colleague, neighbour. It feels impossible. In one sense, we're seeing what we might call typical discipleship here, aren't we? For all our kind of, come on! Actually, most of us can identify with Moses here. I guess most of us go, I'm glad it was not me, but I, press, I guess I'd probably say the same things. I am so conscious of my weakness. I'm so conscious that I get embarrassed. I, I get tongue-tied. My mind goes blank. I, I'm not very good at telling people about Jesus. But beneath all that as well, isn't there a concentration on one person? Notice what Moses says. Who am I that I should go? Suppose I go to the Israelites. What shall I tell them? Verse 1 of chapter 4. What if they do not believe me or listen to me? I have never been eloquent. I am slow of speech. And of course, at the end, please, Lord, send someone else instead of me. Can you see that in the text? There is a, a sense of weakness, but there's also a self-absorption, isn't there? There is a sense of I look at myself in the mirror and what I see spiritually isn't very good. But I'm looking at me. My eyes are winning over my ears. God is speaking to me, but I'm letting my eyes looking at the, the task and myself. That, they're the two things I see. I, I can see Pharaoh and I can see the Israelites and I can see the task and it seems impossible. Then I look at myself and I go, it can't be done. I look at Bedford, 160,000 people. I look at brilliant Britain, 63 million people. I look at Western Europe, hundreds of millions of people. And I, then I look at me and I look at our church and I look at us. And we, how can we bring good news to so many people? It just seems impossible. That's point one of this passage, isn't it? In one sense, it is a mirror pointing, as it were, looking at ourselves, seeing ourselves there. And then secondly, learning to not judge by what we see, 
outside or inside of me, but but listening to the Lord. Now, three things I want to say. First, be grateful for God's patience. Who is speaking? Well, Simon opened it up last week. It is the great God, the eternal, infinite God, the great I am. I will be who I will be. The sovereign God, the God of all power, of all knowledge, of all goodness. The holy, holy, holy one, the, the one whose weight makes me look so insignificant. The one who says, let there be. Let there be light and there was. Let there be life and there was. Let there be new life and there is. I am in the presence of almighty God. He is speaking to me. And I've basically thrown up in his face a load of objections. But God has been incredibly patient. God doesn't say, well, what a waster you are. I agree with you. God keeps talking to him. God said to Moses, God also said to Moses, the Lord said to Moses, that special personal name, Yahweh, the, the covenant God, the God who's committed to my well-being, the Lord said. And do you notice in verse 14 of chapter 4, the Lord's anger burned against Moses. Now, what would you expect next? The Lord's anger burned and he sent fire to consume? No. What about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way. I've already, I've already got that in mind, Moses. Even when, in one sense, Moses has provoked God. God is committed to the well-being of his people. And he knows your weakness and he's made allowance for it. Aren't you grateful that the living God is patient? He's patient with you. He, he's not wishing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Uh, come and find his forgiveness. Come to learn to trust him. That's what the Apostle Peter says. God is patient. What a, a reason to say thank you, God, for your patience with me, just as you've been patient with Moses. But second, our text tells us to trust in God's power. At the beginning of chapter four, Moses said, well, they're not going to believe me. And God says, Moses, what's that in your hand? It's a staff, he says. Throw it on the ground. He threw it on the ground. It became a snake. He ran from it. He was scared. Wouldn't you be? I hate them. Snakes out in Egypt way, you know, they're not cuddly animals. They are killers. So God says, pick it up. And he does. What an act of faith and courage. And it came a staff again. Moses I am the God in control of the staffs and the snakes. That's very significant. For Egypt, uh, some of you youngsters can look it up afterwards. Type in Google, Pharaoh's crown. He had two crowns. He had a red crown and a white crown, lower and upper Egypt. The whole of the country, there were these two crowns that, that came together, a red and white together. But at the very front, over the forehead, was a serpent. It was a cobra. The Egyptians were petrified of the things. Everybody's petrified of them. They are powerful. And there was a symbol of Pharaoh's power. Look it up, you'll see it. On all the crowns of Egypt, the snake is at the, on the forehead of the Pharaoh. And God says, you know the snake? I'm in control of that, Moses. And secondly, God says to Moses, after he says... This is so that they might believe. They're going to find out 
I am in control. But then put your hand inside your cloak. So he does. And he comes out and it's leprous. And Moses would have been petrified of that. Put it back in. And he does and it comes out whole. And what God is saying to Moses, Moses, I am the healing God. I can heal you. I can forgive your sins. I know you murdered. But I forgive sinners. I not only am I in control of the enemy, I'm also the healer of your soul. I can make you whole. And then thirdly, if they don't believe, then take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground and it will become blood on the ground. Another great sign. You see, God's power is not just random acts. These are signs. And that's where I want to take you. Get your pen, paper, and on it, draw a pole like that and then draw a sign and on it write signs that point to God. For what we have here is not just awesome deeds a wonder. Moses was gripped by a wonder at the beginning of chapter three, a bush that wasn't burnt. But here, these are specifically described as signs. Verse eight, if they do not believe or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second sign. And if they do not believe these two signs, well, there's a third sign. These deeds of mighty power were to point people to God. God's power is revealed in him giving signs. And you go, well, great, Ray, but I've not got a staff that turns into a snake. I, I, my hand doesn't come in and out like that, some kind of magic trick. It's, no, it's a sign. See, we have God's power signing now, haven't we? Well, what is the sign? It's this book. This book now is the great sign that God is at work, who God is, what God is doing. Here Moses saw these signs, but there was someone who came. Who didn't just three signs. In John's Gospel, you get the seven signs that the Lord Jesus did. The Lord Jesus, who seven times in John's Gospel said, I am. The same I am, as Simon pointed out last week, the same I am said, I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. Jesus seven times had these seven great I am sayings with the seven great miracle signs pointing to who? To God. But now pointing to God here on earth. And, and in one sense, our staff is this book. We can now say to people, our great sign is in this. In the past, the writer to the Hebrews said, God spoke to our forefathers in all kinds of ways, through mighty miracles. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, who is the fullness of God made human. He is the ultimate one. All the other signs point to Jesus. We don't have to have any other sign than this book as our sign pointing to Jesus. We can be encouraged by that. People say, show us your miracles. And we say, 
Here's our miracle. Here is God made flesh. Here is God come to heal. Uh, he's healed me. He can heal you. His blood shed. Water of Nile brought life. Jesus' blood has brought me eternal life. We can talk about these things and we can feel our weakness, but we can point to God's power in the great signs. But the third thing is this. We're to trust in God's promise. We can be grateful for God's patience. We can rely on God's power seen in the signs, seen in the ultimate signs in Jesus. But we can also trust in God's promise. What was the promise? Well, it came in Exodus chapter three and verse 12. And God said, I will be with you. That's the great promise. I will be with you. Now, really significant, isn't it? God doesn't say, Moses, with a wave of my magic wand, you're going to be fluent. You're going to speak numerous languages. You can do all kinds of tricks. Moses, I'm going to make you into a superman. No, Moses is still Moses at the end of this passage. He probably did have some kind of speech impediment. We don't know for sure. That's the hint of the, the text. God says, Moses, this is the deal. You're always going to be weak, but I am with you. It's the same deal that we embrace too. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, he said, when I am weak, then I am strong. When I embrace my weakness, then God's power is seen through me. People look at me and, and I'm just pointing them to the all-powerful, all-loving one. The, the great secret of Christian discipleship is to say, I am is with me. If, if he is with me, I can be weak because it's not about me and my power and my fluency and my capability and my confidence and my impact on other people's lives. It's about God using someone as weak as me. And through me pointing to him, people will look to him, not me. People are not going to look to Moses. They were going to go to look at God. This is the great secret of this passage. God is going to achieve his purposes through a Moses. God is going to achieve his purposes through a you. That's, and you don't have to be other than you are. You can be grateful for God's patience, rely on God's power and trust in his promise. And that promise he made to Moses. Yeah, you've heard it before, haven't you? Almost the last words of Jesus in Matthew's gospel. The famous Great Commission, as it's called. What were they? Let me read them to you. The Lord Jesus. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you. And he adds that extra word always to the very end of the age. I am with you. What a difference that makes. We need, as with Moses, to listen, trust and follow and say in a sense, all right, here I am, Lord. It's just me. I want to serve you on Monday, 
wherever you've placed me. And I want to serve you well as a servant. And if you get me opportunity to speak, Lord, well, here I am. I'm your servant. Moses, who we're going to read into chapter four, goes back and tells his father-in-law Jethro what God has called him to do. And off he sets in his weakness, but with God's power. The same God is with us. And what a God he is. I want to just conclude with two stories, really. Two of my favourite ones, actually. Some of you have heard this before, but I'm never sure how many more times I'm going to be able to tell this story. And there will be quite a few of you who've never heard it. But it's about a lady called Edith Schaefer. Uh, she was serving God in a country, not her own country. And uh, they were uh, given notice to quit. They were given six um, months, six weeks to leave the country. And it got down to the last three days and they were getting nowhere. Oh, they'd had some encouragements along the way about paperwork and so on, but they hadn't found anywhere to live. And the, uh, it come down to the last sort of day or two. And Mrs. Schaefer had been up all night because she was helping someone in labour. And then she went and saw a, a chalet, which if they could hire, if they could rent, would be perfect. But the rent was well over what they could afford. She was in tears walking down the road when she heard a voice. Madame Schaefer, have you found anything yet? And her head was down and she said, uh, no, nothing at all. And she said, he said, well, come with me. I think I may have found something in another village. And off they went and she looked around it. And it was stunningly and beautiful. And then she said, oh, I forgot to ask, how much is the rent? The estate agent said, oh, it's not for rent. It's for sale. And then the car shot forward up on the road. For sale, I re repeated to myself dully. For sale with no money. Even if we were millionaires, who would buy a house in a country where we, without having a permit to live there? It seemed the last straw. I couldn't see a way forward. I daren't tell my husband, Francis, that it was up for sale because he immediately would have said no. Well, that night, she said, I prayed again, fervently communicating my fears and uncertainties just like you, just like Moses. And, and, and one can't put an hour of talking to God in a paragraph, but it's important for you to know that it was an hour, not a sentence. And I had a real sense that God laid a burden on my heart that he wanted me to serve him. And I asked God for guidance and I, I didn't know what to say. And at the end of it, I had this sense, Lord, please show us if you want us to go forward with this. If we are to buy it, send us a sign that will be clear enough to convince my husband. <laughs> who would not believe this as well as me will you send us one thousand dollars before 10 o'clock tomorrow morning now it's unique it's kind of not the kind of thing we do but she felt it was the only thing she could do they were such extremists the following morning as we went through new layers of fresh snow to the train the postman his packages and mailbags on a sled handed us three letters we opened these on the train one was from paris the next from belgium the third was from a man and wife in the united states and Mr. and Mrs. Salisbury had been following our work with interest and prayer for quite some time, ever since they'd been spiritually helped through Fran's messages. However, they'd never given any financial help in our work, nor were they wealthy. 
They knew that we'd been told to leave Switzerland and been following up the story. And she said, I have a story to tell you. Three months ago, my husband and I, my husband came home from work with an unexpected amount of money. The company decided to pay insurance premiums for all their employees. This came to us as a great surprise. We decided at first to buy a new car. Then come to the conclusion we didn't need a new car. Well, our next thought was to invest it in a second house, which perhaps we might be able to rent. We went to look at houses and we looked over a very likely small house and I suddenly saw termites in the woodwork and thought, look, Art, the husband's name was, I, I, I don't, doesn't that remind you of that verse in Matthew about moth and rust ruining everything instead of laying up treasures in heaven? I said to my husband, would you be willing to take this money and literally invest it in heaven rather than it investing in another house on earth? Would you be willing to give it to the Lord's work somewhere? He said, yes, Helen, I would. Well, that was three months ago. And all during these three months, we've been asking God to show us what he would have us do with the money. Two or three times, we almost gave it to some cause. And each time we felt stopped from doing it. Now, tonight, we've come to a definite decision. Both of us feel certain that we're meant to send you this money. To buy a house somewhere that will be open to young people. The amount of money was exactly $1,000. You can imagine my tongue was suddenly loosed. I poured forth a story of my prayers that the fact the house was for sale. The train had arrived at Ollen, we stepped on the yellow bus, we couldn't wait to tell that God was working through weak people like us. Later we discovered that Helen had been ready for bed when she finished writing that letter and suggested to her husband that he mail it on the way to work the next morning. However, he felt such a strong urge to mail it that night that as she got up from her knees when she was praying by her bedside, he said, we must mail it now. And getting out of the car, they drove through a blinding rainstorm to the main post office to mail the letter right then. The perfection of the timing of its arrival, the timing of both my certainty at the moment I prayed and his certainty of the need of mailing the letter was amazing. Then a statement that was for buying a house that would always be open to young people. What an amazing God we have. That's the God that's with you. That's the God that's with me. The God who hears our cry in our weakness and sometimes in our extremists and says, I am with you. And 30 years later, that same lady proved again that God was with her. She describes the death of her husband like this. It was 4am precisely that a soft last breath was taken and he was absent. That absence was so sharp and precise. Absent. Now I only observed the absence. I can vouch for the absence being precisely at four o'clock. As for his presence with the Lord, I had to turn to my Bible to know that. I only know that a person is present with the Lord because the Bible tells us so. I didn't have a mystical experience. I want to tell you here and now that the faultless Bible became more important to me than ever before. I want to tell you seriously and solemnly, the Bible is more precious than ever to me. That Bible assurance, the assurance of the God who is with me is the God who has spoken in the Bible. And when it comes to that 
worst of all situation, that most extreme, the God who has been with me, who has speaking to, who has spoken to me in his word, I can trust him completely. Whether I see amazing answers to prayer or whether I have to just trust what he says, that's how he is with me. It's how he's with you. And we can trust him and go on into our lives knowing that this great Lord is with us. May you prove him and realise he is absolutely trustworthy to the praise of his name. Amen.